0: Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Marketing in Times of Recovery. It's the Built Environment Marketing Podcast that is hosted by me, Io Abbas. Today, there's no guest, just me and a very special episode to close out 2021. So welcome to the Marketing in Times of Recovery top marketing tips episode. special episode I'll be bringing together some of the truth bombs and key advice given by my amazing guests during the year. As we're heading into 2022 it's a great time for us all to take stock and generally just be inspired. Anyway I'll stop rambling on so let's get on and get started with the tips. And first up let's take a look at the basics. The research that should underpin your approach and the strategy that acts as your northern guiding light so you can see where you've started and most importantly the journey you're going along. And our first tip is from Susie Lober, a fellow marketing consultant based in Cambridge, and it's taken from episode 15.
1: I think um, something that we did quite early in our relationship is we, we did um, some market research with a, a set of, of clients, which was really valuable. Um, yeah. And I had um, interviews with a number of different clients, and that has guided our marketing strategy ever since. Um, it's really helped us to sort of mark out what the key differences are with the practice, um, what perceptions we need to challenge, what are the client pain points that we need to address. Um, so that that bit of research that we did back in probably 2018, has driven a lot of the marketing decisions since then.
0: And then we head on to episode 16 with Emily Binning from WSP in the UK, who shares how she encourages her team to get their strategy onto a single page.
1: So I challenge the team every year. We have a marketing strategy on a page and the elements of that include so there's a statement of marketing strategies that's the top line we would have a little descriptor of the key market issues we then have some bullets of what our our marketing initiatives are we then also explore like the critical underlying beliefs and assumptions you know so sentences would start with we must we should we know Um, Mm -hmm. and then have some goals and metrics and then also um You'd also have the state of marketing sort of in 2019 and then what you want it to be in 2020. And that's all on a page and just keep it really simple. And um, sometimes I think people think a strategy and it's, oh my goodness, this
2: is reams and reams. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be. It really doesn't.
0: And as someone who is currently working with Emily at the moment, I can say this is totally true. And honestly, distilling a strategy onto a page is a skill in itself. And on to my final piece on strategy. We have words from Helen Kettlebell from Gleeds talking about strategy being best when you do a few things well from episode 26.
3: It's all about sort of, you know, tr- you know helping people understand the strategic value that, you know, good marketing can bring. And you do that by, you know, asking just lots and lots of questions and really starting to try and understand, you know, what are the marketing outcomes that we need to achieve? You know, what do we need to be famous for? And, you know, what process timeline are we working to, to be able to make this happen? And we're using those conversations to then, you know, shift a thought process and start to put a campaign mindset in place that um, enables us to think, more precisely about what we're going to do because I think the other part of the challenge um, you know we'll always you know in marketing we'll always say we never have enough money to know to do what we need to do Um, but what you can do is think (laughs) smart in these circumstances and look at how you put focus into it so rather than trying to do everything for everybody within an organization and Glees is no different you know I've been through a lot of different organizations where we've had this conversation let's just say this part of the business works really well, um, but we we're not going to touch that right now. We're going to focus our effort and our resource into three or four things that are going to make are going to make the biggest difference. And of course, there's always going to be that background chat about oh we need to do this and we need to do that, and that is part of the sort of you know life of being an in-house team. But. Moving yeah. a stronger focus around a smaller number of things that are going to make a bigger difference is very much the approach that we're taking and looking at how that then translates into a campaign. And as I'm really starting to work with our colleagues to understand what that customer journey is, how they actually win business and how we can influence something and been a partner to the sales end of the process, um, rather than you know these two you know parts of the business you know living in splendid isolation and occasionally throwing bricks at each other, um, it, you know it's building the partnership so we can actually make a bigger difference with less, um, and then using that as hopefully over the sort of more medium term to prove that we're actually adding real genuine value.
0: key element of strategy is knowing what to focus on and whether you should niche down. The following clips look at this somewhat contentious area. We start with Nikita Morel, a copywriter extraordinaire at LinkedIn Dynamo, who has a quote from episode 19, part two.
4: I think also, like, you got to ask, like, as Amy says, or, like, how many clients do you need? Is that yeah. following or being on Clubhouse, like, 24-7 worth it? Or, like, I mean, how many projects do you need to, to be successful, like... Maybe those 100,000 followers on Instagram that you're chasing is really not worth it. So ask yourself, like, where are my ideal clients hanging out? Um, you know, like the really, really good ones, and how do I get in front of them? I and mean, it might only be five people, as we just said for the email. This might only be 10 super fans, but that's all you need.
0: Then we move on to Magnus Strom from Strom Architects, whose firm chose their high end resi niche very, very early on. This is a clip from episode 25
5: the really important thing is like you know the quality of the work you put out there for me that that's kind of that's absolute key
2: you know
5: and so when we started out we knew what we wanted to do and so we kind of we stayed small for quite a long time and we turned down work because it wasn't what we wanted to do and we said like well if i do take on this we're going to fill the office with work we don't want to do and then we might not be able to take on the work we actually
0: want to do And we end this niche and focus section with wise words from engineer Stephen Melville from Format engineers in episode 21.
5: I think one of the important things is in marketing is having an, ex- identify, having an expertise that you feel passionate about, you haven't just made up because it makes, it makes money, and then just going for it and relentlessly going for it and being really
0: good at it, and then that pays off. With COP26 happening in Glasgow this year and the rise of environmental social governance, AKA ESG, and what seems like an ever evolving global pandemic, being a responsible business has risen in importance. And here is a timely quote from Rebecca Snow from Stephen Trevelyan in episode 20.
6: One of the things that we've done that I've really enjoyed and I, I think has actually ended up being a, a, a real bonus is, is um, implementing, implementing our Responsible business plan, which sounds okay, really boring. But we we um, we've worked with Heart of the City, um, who are fantastic. They're a charity and they are immensely supportive to small and large businesses. Um, and working with someone to give a framework helped me. So we, we look at um, our staff, we look at the local environment, and we look at our impact on the sort of larger environment. You know, the world, I guess.
0: And of course, we can't talk about ESG and being a responsible business without heading back to the core of our values and our purpose. In episode 23, parts one and two, Daniel Regan and Dave Hendy from MACE shared about the journey that they went on to help MACE find its new purpose and the huge internal comms exercise which they openly undertook.
1: We'd been talking kind of pre-lockdown about our purpose and becoming more of a purpose-led Organizations, so it was kind of on the on on certainly on Mark Reynolds, the CEO's mind, to really do that reflection about you know why we exist kind of beyond you know making a, a profit. And and Mark's been really instrumental in driving the responsible business agenda and and the carbon agenda and you know Mace Foundation, our, our, our charity. So. He, I think he really wanted to kind of formalise that in in a way that sort of linked in with the business strategy and, and the vision for the future. So yeah, we went on a we went on a journey and we and we tried really really hard actually to bring our colleagues on the journey as well. So we we started looking at what our purpose um, is as an organisation and we did a lot of co- we did a lot of engagement, a lot of workshops, a lot of sessions where we got our imp- sort of our, our people to kind of feed back to us about why they work at MACE and what they see as the kind of potential um for the organization mm. um, and then from from that process we actually changed the, the purpose we started off with one um, and people kind of told us it wasn't ambitious enough and and and, and we listened and and, and and we changed it and um and then where we ended up with the purpose which is to redefine the boundaries of ambition and three strategic priorities um, and a new business strategy, which is, you know, really focused on kind of six main growth sectors. Um, and what is so so fascinating about this, actually, is I've been involved in three business strategies now at Mace. I've been with the business for thirteen years, and the least interesting thing about this business strategy are the numbers. You know, in fact, I would. <laughs> That's I would, a big I would, change. It's massive.
5: This is what we think we're doing. Come and let us know what you think. And we did, I think we, we topped out about 2000 bits of feedback. We did workshops, we did facilitated sessions, we did (laughs) surveys, you know, we got, we got, it was probably the biggest piece of kind of internal discussion and conversation we've had as a business. And we totally ripped them up, you know, and we, you know, we changed them. We changed the number we have, we changed the wording, the purpose changed entirely. And actually, I think, you know, looking back, if you'd have, if you'd have asked me in pre-Covid if we'd have had the confidence and the board would have had the confidence to come out with something that important to 6,000 people that wasn't finished yet and ask them to ask them what they thought and to change it you know I think a lot sometimes when people go out with stuff like that for for ideas and suggestions they're kind of they know where they're going to end up you know it's not really a conversation it's give us a stamp and tell us we're doing the right thing and in this case it was you know what you're not and we went back and we changed it
0: we finished this section looking even more closely at internal comms with my latest interview, which is episode twenty-seven with Trudy Lewis, who's an exec coach and comms consultant from Collinair.
6: Yeah, I, internal comms is is an interesting one because again, as it's it's not necessarily a, an entity of its own. Um, companies always hear about it and think, "Oh, how do I incorporate that?" And they have a they might they may have a comms person doing things already. Yeah. Um, they might have it within corporate comms. They might have embedded it within HR. So, but then in terms of the whole function of internal comms or the the role internal comms plays, it is critical for your organisation. It's yeah. very much a case of the internal expression of the brand, and and you know, for most of us from the industry, we feel very strongly about the fact that the brand needs to be shaped from internal. And then expressed outwardly. Now, a lot of companies do it the other way around. You know, we create this external brand for the customer. But in reality, a stronger brand and, and, you know, research shows it, a stronger brand is actually set up, shaped through the employees and then pushed outwards. So the messaging comes from within, you know, you've got your purpose clear, you know who you are as an organization, your employees understand the part they play. And, and they feel passionate about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Once you understand that, that's where the brand kind of pushes out. And so that brand narrative that you've developed for the external gets shaped by those group, by that group of people. So there is that thing of kind of, we have to have internal comms to shape that because yeah. many people think internal comms is just about, you know, just produce us a newsletter.
0: And now let's move on to websites. Their importance has grown in a world where face-to-face meetings have become far more complicated. So let's start off with a hint from James Solly from episode 21, where he talks about making your website personal.
5: But if you have a website, yeah, well, you're a young practice doing this and that, and it's like, please get in contact, info at xyz.com. And it's no, who are we? Who are you going to be dealing with? I think as a small practice, accept that people
0: want to work with people they don't want to work with a machine and then we move on to episode 19 part three with nikita Morel talking about her approach for developing website content for her clients which starts with research
4: every website copywriting project i do i interview five to ten of their past clients so i sit on the phone and i'm like i ask some questions you know How did you find working with them? What were your objections before you started working? As you said, Amy, you know, like they might say, oh, I just thought the architect would just not listen to me or they'd just run with their own ideas or they're trying to create an award-winning house or something and not really taking my needs into consideration or whatever it is. So I pretty much, you know, transcribe all our conversations and then I sit there and I just think, okay, like what, you know, it's called voice of customer data. Like how can I pull this out and put into words? So a lot goes on behind the scenes to get to get those words so I think um going back to your question is one of the biggest thing they can really do is really get to know like what type of clients do they want to keep working with and how do those clients talk like do these clients talk in Archie Babble or do they talk in just a normal conversation and like a really good tip if you're if you're an architect and you know you have to get to your website copy and you're kind of scared of that blank page I always just say go into Google Docs you know, click onto that um, voice typing tool and just start talking to your computer. Like that's the best way to kind of to get that conversational, you know, right like you speak. So just start talking about your practice, why you started it. And then that almost forms the basis of of your copy. You know, don't sit there trying to be like, how can I sound smart? And that's when you just come up with... (laughs) I've been trying that I've been there too like <laughs> yeah, I know I do that every day but like, you just sometimes just have to be your, you know like yourself and, and, and write like you speak and that's when it won't because I think another thing with websites is a lot of architects I've well, my clients will come like you know I want to be quite witty and bold and that then I'm talking to them and they're so introverted and I'm like someone's <laughs> going to look at your website and there's like bold colours and flashing and they're going to meet you and you're like so shy like that causes mistrust and misalignment right like your website has to reflect who you are.
0: And after websites, it's time to turn our attention to all things social. I have to admit that I love LinkedIn and dabble in a bit of Instagram, and I can certainly see the benefits that social media brings to my business, particularly as a source of traffic to my website as well as for leads. This section kicks off with a quote from Vivi Kala from Jessica and Wiles in episode 22, talking about consistency on social. So, social media is su- can be such a huge effort, you know, um, but what I find with um, social media is that consistency is
4: key. That's <laughs> what yeah. I've,
0: you know, over the years, it's what I've learned. And um, firstly, one of the things that we asked ourselves as a practice was which channels our clients and collaborators are most likely to be using. Um, yeah. You know, you don't want to spread yourself too thin. Um, you want to go to where your clients are already. And now we head on to a truth bomb from Dave Sharp giving some sage advice for new practices looking to get started on Instagram now from episode 19, part two.
7: Oh, it's a really, it's a really big question in terms of how, how big. Is your portfolio going to be your biggest strength? And I know that I'm probably very traditional there, but if the best thing you could possibly do is roll out like an immaculate, amazing portfolio that is like far above average in the industry, like make sure that you've got some self-awareness and you're looking at your work and going, is this work legit? If your work is super legit, way way above the average in the industry, genuinely, then Instagram is probably going to be a really good place for you in terms of growing. Otherwise, you can, you can also just have like a really cool, if you've got like a really cool company culture and you're very design centric, I also think that Instagram can be really good for you in terms of, um, your process, your studio environment, you know, some of the, some of the process and collateral around how you design. If that is, if that gives me FOMO, like I want to meet you and go to your studio and work with you because everything that you do looks amazing and so cool, then I think Instagram's also really good for that. Um, but If a firm isn't meeting those criteria, I think it is going to be like maybe a little bit more of a struggle. And I would probably suggest, you know, maybe, you know, try and go where all the other architects aren't and explore other options because there might be something Mm -hmm. out there that's actually kind of easy for you to be one of the best at that doesn't involve you know the photographers you're hiring or the videographers that you're working with or all the sort of things that have become kind of standard fare on Instagram these days like it is super competitive on Instagram amongst architects that's just the reality of it so if you want to compete then go for it but 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 it don't you know don't be close-minded to other other options as well
0: LinkedIn is by all accounts the main platform for business. So in episode 26, Helen Kettleborough from Leeds gives her take on how they're using LinkedIn to drive growth in their business.
3: We, we work really closely with um, the, sort of the in-house um, compliance team to ensure that our LinkedIn our social media guidelines are all sort of in the right place with the right advice. Um, so there's a sort of a, there's, a, there's a very formal framework that sits around it. Um, but, you know, it's like it's like anything else. You sort of find the people who are most enthusiastic and help them and then use those people as the trailblazers to get more people involved. Yeah. Um, and, you know, initially our initial workshops on how to use LinkedIn, how to develop your profile, how to start you know, engaging more with content that you think that would help you reach out to your customers. Now, you know, it's just simple things like, you know, tagging someone who you think might be interested in a piece of our thought leadership um, yeah. A lot of people don't know how to do that and are very nervous about doing it. So we're working really hard on helping people understand how to do it, helping them understand what they should and shouldn't do, and you know, really trying to give them confidence to do more. And we're already starting to see our stats change as a result. So. I'm really, I'm really excited about that. And also, of course, the LinkedIn traffic is very important in terms of how we're pulling people through to our website and starting to capture that interest and build relationships, which sort of goes into the other area of investment that, you know, that, that we've taken quite seriously over the last few months which is bringing in a marketing automation platform in, so we can actually start to do more with the interest that we're creating because um, you know, given the scale and size of our business and yeah. given our growth ambition and the number of markets that we're working across, um, it's, we, are, we have started to invest, make some discrete investment in very specific digital tools that are going to help us you know, do
0: more with um, what we have. And we end this social media segment with a rallying cry for practices to have an opinion to make an impact on social. Being vanilla just won't cut it. Anyway, this quote is from episode 19, part two from Dave Sharp again.
7: For, for architects being on there, it's, um, it's a really good place to be if you're A, somebody who is very much like an encourager of other people. And is wanting to be on there every day to just make positive, good contributions to other people in your industry, even other, and especially other disciplines. I would be not so much focusing on architects. If you're an architect, I'd be focusing on builders that you work with, suppliers, like people like that that you've got these important relationships with and you want to kind of encourage and be there to sort of support their businesses and there's this sort of mutual you know relationship that you there's this camaraderie Mm. and there's this really like rewarding relationship that can develop with other people like for me the people that I engage with on LinkedIn when I do go on LinkedIn uh, (laughs) the people I'm looking to engage with are not architects they're actually you guys and other marketing people and I know that's a little bit insular but like for me, that's the value of LinkedIn is like, it's not necessarily about mm. trying to directly engage your customers, it's, but it's about going, who are, the, who are the relationships, the professional relationships that you actually need to survive in your, in your industry? And, and so, I, I think it's like a little bit about that. So, an architect that's like down with that and is a very sort of generous and community oriented person, I think it's a good place to be there. But if you're going to be the person who does like your own posts like Nikita, You have to be prepared to actually have an opinion and stand up for yourself. It's and true. defend what you think and be open to being criticised and be comfortable with maybe, you know, being wrong in some people's eyes or having them, you know, gossip about you behind your back at the next, you know, institute soiree. Like there's always that risk, <laughs> you
6: that know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not speaking from personal experience, but <laughs> I'm,
3: ta- I'm, ta-
7: I'm tapping into the deep-seated nightmares of architects, which is that they'll be at the next, you know, awards jury and it's like, oh, look, there's such and such who have that to say on LinkedIn, they think they're really special. You know, there's always this fear of criticism and judgment from your peers in the industry, but you just Mm. have to be prepared to sort of tough it out and, and, and do that because you need to have an opinion that it actually is not just trying to please everybody on LinkedIn.
0: And now we head over to business development. If it's one on your agenda for 2022, do check out episode 24 with Ibn Faulkner from SOM. She gives so much useful advice and tips on what to do in terms of BD, including this one.
8: Well, I guess there's there's both like a, the carrot and the stick model, right? Like there's uh yeah. you know, right? The the stick is that we have we have goals uh and we need to meet them globally. So, like we just got to do it. Uh and that <laughs> probably works for a certain percentage of our, of our group. I guess, I guess the others, you know, I, I, some people it's not terribly hard to get them. Well, let's see. Let me think this through. How do you get people fired up? (laughs) I I guess I, I guess I just go back to what I was saying before is that I think by demystifying it a bit, by, by showing them that it's not some foreign Thing. It's not some like, like performance yeah. they have to do. <laughs> uh, that, I yeah. don't know if it gets them fired up, but I, I think it's more about relieving anxiety. <laughs> How do we relieve anxiety about business development? We you show yeah. them that it's, that it's not a, it's not a for a performance that they have to do. I also think really making things bite-sized and, and focused. Yeah. Who are we trying to have a meet with? What do we want to happen in this meeting? how did the meeting go? What is our follow-up? What is our next step? The kind of really breaking things down into bite saying. size yeah, pieces saying. of work. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. helps. Uh, again, because that, that's, you know, going back to the challenge of the doer seller model is that most of the people that I'm working with, well, all of you I'm working with are very busy, but, uh, they are, their head is in their project. And their projects as it should be that's what makes them really good at their job is that they're very yeah. you know they are 80 to 90 percent of their time they're spent working on our specific projects so the other challenge is um yeah when they when they raise their heads up and they have some time whether it's five minutes or half an hour or half a day what how do we make sure that we, that, that they know what to do with that time What's the thing they can do in five minutes? What's the thing they can do in half an hour? What's the thing they can do in half a day? And that is what I'm also shifting for our team is I want our team to be kind of at the ready. I want our team to be creating beautiful, convincing, uh, enticing marketing collateral, yes. But I also want them to be uh, keeping us thinking about those medium and long-term goals. And so that when someone's like, I have some bandwidth, they go okay. Remember yeah. that you had that task. That was a thing you were going to call it. You're going to call this person. You were going to set up a coffee with this person, and and going kind to of be ready with when when people have the time that we're ready with a an action, something they can do.
0: And as this special episode draws to a close, let's look forward to some of the key marketing channels and trends that my guests are seeing on the ground now, and that they think will rock in 2022. And let's head over to episode 19 to hear what Amy Edwards from Marketly had to say.
2: I definitely think, I think content marketing just seems to be, um, there's definitely been a massive push on that in the last six months. I feel like that's been a really, a really big thing. And I think, and maybe, maybe it's not so much from the marketing perspective. I don't know if it's that we're pushing it, but I think suddenly um, architects are starting to understand the value of it. You know it even comes back to one of your recent um, posts that you did as well Ayo, that was you know talking about like getting published from having a blog post. you know I think they're they're starting to see that there's much greater value than just putting a picture out you know there's a there's a um, there's a voice and a story that they can tell behind that i think there's I think there's a bit of a return to email marketing. I think it's coming back again a bit um, but also a bit of snail mail like just regular post stuff, like where you can make something that's really beautiful and tactile and um, and tangible that people can come back to. I think, you know, in this age of where everything's um, very digital and digital overload, I think people are getting tired.
0: And finally, let's close out with the fact that I believe that marketing shouldn't be a chore. And there are so many ways that you can do it. So I completely love the final conversation that I'm sharing with you now, which was with George and Ewald from architectural firm BVDS, where they were basically saying that we should all focus on our strengths and play to them and basically have fun. This one comes from episode 17.
9: No, I I think with the fun thing, I think I mean more like just we should be enjoying our marketing because we should be enjoying what we do, which we do. Yeah. So therefore we enjoy talking about it and we enjoy telling people about it. But also we've now got the confidence to go, it's okay for us to pick platforms that we think work better for us and platforms that don't. So for example, me and Ewald could talk for England and we could just keep on talking. So about architecture <laughs> and the benefit for homes and, and what you could be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And so therefore a platform where we can do that is quite good for us. So this podcast, for example, is excellent. Whereas we're not necessarily particularly eloquent or excellent at writing copy so if we don't have a budget to pay somebody to do that for us do we want to be spending our time doing something that we maybe don't feel we're that strong at and um and takes us that bit more effort or should we just focus on on something else so it's it's that kind of approach
0: anyway thanks so much for checking out this very special end of year roundup for marketing times of recovery if there's any episodes you've missed out make sure you do take a listen there's a lot of gems and gold in there to help you into 2022. It's been a busy year and I hope the series has inspired you to do more awesome marketing for your firm. If you like the show, why not give us a Christmas share on social media as it will help us to spread the word. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll tune in again next year. We'll be taking a break from now until about February, so see you soon. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of Marketing in Times of Recovery. And I'm your host, Iowa Bass. If you want to find out more about the bi-weekly show, do check out the show notes, which will give you more information about who the guests are and all the things we've covered. Uh, And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on an episode. Until next time. Bye.